For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. So we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 11, which I think some of you guys heard over at the warehouse from Dennis, but I'm told that I have an entirely different approach. We'll see. Um, I entitled this, Four Ways to Fall for Counterfeit Christianity, in keeping with some of the irony that and really sarcasm Paul uses in this passage. We read in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 11, I hope you will put up with a little bit of my foolishness, but you're already doing that. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So, Paul was concerned about the Corinthian believers. He was worried that they were falling into some deceptive teaching. And what's interesting about this section is that Paul actually uses some sarcasm to make his point. He says right here in verse 1, I hope you'll put up with a little bit of my foolishness, but you're already doing that since they made it most of the way through his letter. So it's interesting because we're supposed to interpret the things that he says as good as actually the opposite, as being bad or marks of, you know, a counterfeit Christian teacher. And the things that he regards as bad are actually meant to be proof of his authenticity as a Christian leader. So Paul's compliments and congratulations identify what's wrong with counterfeit Christian teachers, while his apologies actually identify his authenticity as a spiritual leader. So we need to keep that in mind. But I want to present to you four ways that we might fall into counterfeit Christian teaching. One of the things you'll notice if you read through the New Testament letters, the authors continually talk about how we need to be aware and discern whether or not something actually comes from God. Because as we learned last week, God actually has an enemy who seeks to subvert what he says and to undermine what God is doing throughout the world. So let's begin. Let's look at the first one. The first way to fall into counterfeit Christian teaching is to assume that everyone who speaks positively of Jesus comes from God. Paul says in verse 4, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or a different gospel from the one that you accepted, you put up easily enough. So he congratulates them. He says, you guys put up with this. You're so spiritually open that you're willing to accept whatever people have to say about Jesus. One thing we learn about these counterfeit Christian teachers They weren't speaking negatively about Jesus. In fact, they were speaking positively about him, but they're taking this accurate picture of Jesus and slightly morphing it into something different than what Paul taught. So one of the things that we notice is that these teachers that Paul refers to He speaks of them as false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. So 
he says these guys, they're not going to come right out and tell you, hey, by the way, we're false teachers. Rarely does the evil one ever use a frontal attack. Most of the time, he's trying to undermine God's credibility by eroding our confidence in what he has to say. So, one of the things that Satan tries to do is he tries to implant false teachers as the leaders of large churches in order to deceive large groups of people. And he says that these people are masquerading as apostles of Christ. Jesus claimed that false apostles would come as wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus warned that this was going to happen, and this is something that we see really throughout the New Testament, that there are going to be people who come and say that they're speaking from God, when in reality, they're trying to erode our confidence in God's truth. You know, the spiritual realm, it's not like picking apples at a grocery store. You know, it's, I think we're a little bit naive sometimes to think that anything that's spiritual is probably good and benevolent. But in reality, it's more like picking wild mushrooms in a field. A few years ago, I started taking up mushroom hunting with a friend of mine. And um, one of the cardinal rules of mushroom hunting is you need to make sure that you positively ID the species of mushroom that you're about to eat. So for example, you look at this field mushroom, right? That's, it's pretty common. And it's not a choice mushroom, but when you eat it, it's kind of like a button mushroom that you would eat uh, from the grocery store. Now, one of the things that's, that's a little bit odd about this is that there is another mushroom that looks exactly like it, the angel of death mushroom. And it's not edible. In fact, it's poisonous. And within 6 to 16 days, you can die from eating it. In fact, the reason why it's so lethal is that most of the time, people don't realize that they have symptoms of eating a poisonous mushroom until it's too late. And so, likewise, you know, when we hear different teaching, it's easy to feel like, well, this, is, this person seems very genuine. Seems like what they're saying is right, so maybe I should listen to what they have to say. But it's important for us to carefully discern what this person's saying, and, and we need to make sure that it actually comes from God. He says in verse 14 and 15, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising that if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. So, he says that really the, the one who is animating these counterfeit Christian teachers is God's enemy. And rarely will these people announce that they are counterfeit Christian teachers. You're not going to have a counterfeit Christian teacher get up to teach something like this and say, I want to spend some time this evening introducing you to destructive heresies and counterfeit Christian teaching. Let's pray. You know, they're going to masquerade themselves as angels of light, people who represent God. Second thing is, we need, uh, if we want to fall into counterfeit Christian teaching, we need to pay primary attention to experience the messenger gives us. 
So Paul says in verse five and six, I don't think I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles. I mean, his words are just dripping with sarcasm. He says, I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. So he apologizes that he is not a trained speaker like some of these false apostles who are coming through and and undermining Paul's authority as an apostle. You know, Corinthian culture valued experience over content. There were these traveling speakers who would come through and they would share different ideas that were very popular in the ancient world. And they were highly respected, not only for the content of what they said, but also how they said it. That these people were regarded for their speaking abilities, people would pay attention to their posture, their intonation, their dramatic pauses while they spoke, the musical cadence of the way that they spoke. And the Corinthian believers looked at these super apostles and the way that they spoke and used that as an indication of their authenticity. On the other hand, since Paul wasn't trained in this Greek rhetoric and this oratory style, they looked at that as a mark against his apostleship. You know, today we live in a culture with... Uh, which is even more experience-oriented than theirs. In our culture, it's really a matter of style over substance. What matters is form over content, entertainment over information. In our day, what really matters is whether or not somebody can speak in a riveting way. And really, Christians are no different. The Christ- many Christians in the United States have fallen suit with our culture, have become conformed to the world. Many Christians are concerned about hearing somebody who is spellbinding in the way that they speak or who can promise that they can do these miraculous things or who can whip up entire crowds emotionally. That is the indication of their authenticity as God's workmen. And yet, one of the things that Paul says is that we shouldn't look at how people say things. We need to really consider the content of what they say. Paul says, I do have knowledge. And now, he's not talking about his IQ or how smart he is or whether or not somebody's seminary trained. In fact, it's a little bit naive to think, well, I'm just going to listen to my pastor or my priest because after all, they went to seminary. Throughout Christianity's history, we know that seminary professors have been at the center of deceptive heresies that have taken down many people's faith. So that's not good enough. It's important that we evaluate what people say based on what God says in his truth, in his written word. In verse four, Paul says, if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or a different gospel, that is, the good news of what Jesus has done from the one that you accepted, then you can tell whether or not these people are authentic. So he gives us two criteria. Really, it can be summarized as the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
First of all, the Bible claims that Jesus is fully God and fully human. For example, in Colossians 2, verse 9, Paul declares that the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form in Jesus. And it was important that Jesus be more than a man, otherwise he wouldn't be able to die for all human sin. He could only pay the sin for another individual human being. But it was also important that he was a human being, fully human. As Hebrews 2 verse 17 says, that he needed to be made like us in every way so that he could be a merciful high priest. So Jesus needed to become a human being in order to identify with us as a perfect sacrifice. That's the reason why Jesus both needed to be fully God and fully human to be a perfect substitute on our behalf. Secondly, the Bible also claims that Jesus' death is the only way to receive God's salvation. You know, you hear sometimes people say, there are many different ways to get to God. Jesus just happens to be one of those ways. Now that seems perfectly reasonable, but it really seems to be at odds with Jesus' binary statement in John 14, verse six. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. So Jesus' statement really puts us at a decision. Either Jesus was correct that he indeed is the only way to God, or he's incorrect and that there's another way to God other than him. So either we have to take Jesus' words as true or they're fundamentally false. So when we look at these two things then, they give us an indication of whether or not what somebody is saying is actually from God. Otherwise, it completely contradicts what the Bible says, its central message. Now, if who Jesus is and what he did is central to Christianity, then how do counterfeits manage to deceive people? It's a good question. I think, first of all, they hijack biblical terms and tend to redefine them. I remember talking to a friend of mine, and he said, yeah, on, you know, one Easter, I decided to go back to my old church, which was sort of a mainline denomination church, and he said during the Easter service, the pastor would constantly make these comments like, Jesus is raised and he's alive, things like that. But it wasn't clear if his pastor, his former pastor, was actually saying that Jesus rose bodily. So afterward, he walked up to him and said, you know, that was a really great talk, but you know, I felt a little bit confused about something, some of the things that you said. Now, when you said that Jesus was raised and that he is still alive, do you mean that he raised bodily? And, of course, the pastor was a little bit dodgy. But finally, my friend pinned him down and was like, so what what do you actually think? And he said, well, I believe that Jesus raised or rose in our hearts and that he lives through the faith of his followers who live today. And so he doesn't actually, he didn't actually believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus in the empty tomb. He was simply using that as sort of a, a metaphor for our faith today. Now you might wonder to yourself, well, what's the big deal? Why does that matter? Well, 
according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, Paul says that if Jesus hasn't been raised, then our faith is for nothing, and you're still locked in your sin. In other words, Jesus' bodily resurrection was a guarantee that God actually accepted Jesus' sacrifice. And so it's of monumental importance that Jesus actually rose from the dead bodily, not that he did so in our hearts. Secondly, many counterfeit Christian teachers subtly undermine the credibility and authority of the Bible. You know, one of the things that counterfeit Christian teachers will do is they will start to undermine the reliability of the Bible, specifically when it relates to its historicity and its geography. What they'll say is, you know, the Bible is just a product of oral tradition that has evolved over hundreds and thousands of years until finally it took written form in the Bible. And then you had a lot of people, dozens of people, who edited the Bible such that what we have now was nothing like what it was originally written. So therefore, when you look at the historical details and the geography listed in the Bible, a lot of that stuff is mistaken. But when it comes to the spiritual content of the Bible, that stuff is actually true. It's meaningful. And yet you have to wonder, if you can't trust or verify the Bible in areas like geography and history, then how can we have any confidence in the areas that we cannot verify such as the spiritual truths that it contains. Not to mention, many of the historical facts are closely intertwined with important theological facts so that if you try to rip them apart, it damages the credibility of the Bible, such as the resurrection of Jesus. If we say, well, the empty tomb, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, it doesn't really matter what matters is that he rose in our hearts. Well, that does damage to our confidence in what, Bible, what, God, what God has to say about our salvation. You know, I was uh, talking to a buddy, and he's, he was describing how his freshman year of high school, him and his dad would have all these really good spiritual conversations. He grew up in a traditional Protestant church, and his sophomore year of high school, a new pastor took over and started really questioning a lot of the history and geography of the Bible. And over the next couple years, his junior and senior year, him and his dad actually started debating whether or not the Bible was credible, even though he continued to attend church. Several years later, his dad was telling him, yeah, we have this book club with a few people in our church, and we're, we're reading some of the books from the Jesus Seminar. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but the Jesus Seminar is an attempt to try to reconstruct the historical Jesus from the Gospels, which they believe is largely mythical accounts of Jesus' life. And most of the people who are part of this book club are like, oh yeah, this Jesus Seminar stuff is so amazing. I totally agree with it. And finally, one woman said, I don't really understand why we're reading all these books. They all happen to undermine our belief in the Bible. Can we actually read something that talks about how the Bible's true next time? 
And you know, this gives you sort of an idea of how God's enemy operates. That over time, he can infiltrate and subvert people's confidence in biblical truth. Really, the main protection against counterfeit Christian leaders is to familiarize yourself with authentic Christian teaching. That the best way to inoculate yourself from false teaching is to study the Bible and what it says. I heard this story about how the American Banking Association held a two-week seminar on how to detect counterfeit currency. So they brought hundreds of tellers in, and one of the really unique things about this seminar was that they never looked at counterfeit currency, and they never had lectures about how to detect counterfeit currency. All they did for the entire two weeks was handle real money. Week after week, day after day. And the thought was, if these people familiarize themselves with authentic money, they'll never fall for false currency. And likewise, if we steep ourselves in biblical truth, if we learn and discern what God has to say, we'll be able to detect whether or not something seems a little bit off. You know, it really doesn't matter how many degrees a person has or how persuasive they are. You need to listen to the content of what they say. No matter who they are, whether it's me or anyone else. The third way to fall for counterfeit Christian teaching is to accept spiritual justifications for financial greed. Look at what Paul says in verse seven. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to, uh, to you free of charge? So he apologized. He says, you know, we're really sorry that we didn't ask you to support us even though we had the right to do that. Apparently, these counterfeit Christian teachers were not only using this right, but they were actually abusing it. Later in verse 20, Paul says, in fact, you even put up with anyone who will enslave you or exploit you. These people were demanding this greedily. And historically, the church has been a haven for criminals and thieves. The fact that the church has tax-exempt status has drawn people who are greedy and who are looking to hustle people who are well-intentioned believers of Christ. And you know, it's sickening when you, when you hear about these Christian preachers who talk about the way to tell whether or not somebody's an authentic spiritual leader is to see whether or not they're truly wealthy. And to see these preachers with palatial homes, with these incredible pools, you know, they have part, uh, uh, their driveways lined with Maseratis and Rolls Royces. I mean, there's, there's a local pastor who owns a $2 million mansion and drives around in a Rolls Royce. Meanwhile, many of his followers are just barely scraping money to get by. So Paul says, look, these people these counterfeit Christian teachers, you can, you can typically identify them by their lifestyle. He says in verse eight and nine, he says, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so I could serve you. 
And when I was with you and needed something, I wasn't a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you, so in any way, and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. It's kind of a strange statement. Uh, Most commentators believe that Paul here thinks that the Corinthians were embarrassed that Paul wouldn't take their money. But he was assuring them that he was doing this because of the accusations he was receiving about his character. He says in verse 12, and I'll keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things that they boast about. Paul refused to take money from the Corinthians in large part because they accused him of being just another sophist. These professionally trained speakers who would spread ideas about Greek arete, virtue, often would receive money from people and apparently there was an accusation floating around that Paul was just another sophist. He was just speaking for money, motivated by greed. So he wanted to make sure that he was above reproach and decided that he wasn't gonna take any money from them. And in other cases, apparently he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even sit down for a meal with another believer without them taking his money for that meal. In 2 Thessalonians 3 verse eight, he says, we never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden on any of you. I mean, that's so hardcore. You know, imagine inviting the Apostle Paul over to dinner. And, you know, he's, he, you lay out this spread for him. And uh, he's like, man, this looks great. And he pulls out his wallet and he peels off a 10. And he hands it to you and you're like, what is that for? He's like, it's for dinner. You're like, no, no, no. You're the Apostle Paul, I insist. You just sit down and have a meal. And he's like, no, I insist. You either take this, I'm walking out. You're like, all right, you know? Uh, but, I mean, that's the kind of integrity that Paul had. He wanted to make sure that, that there was no ground for accusation toward him and his way of life. And it kills me, you know, in our day today, in the American church, I think people don't even blink an eye when you hear of another financial scandal. Pastors who are making millions who are taking off in their private jets to go different places. It's really, I think, something that stands as a real mark on Christianity's um, reputation in our world. Fourth and finally, follow leaders who want to run your life. That's one way to get taken in by counterfeit teachers. He says in verse 20, in fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. He commends them. He says, you know, these guys, you just accept this from them. You know, one way to see whether or not somebody is a counterfeit Christian teacher is 
if they promote sectarianism by teaching or implying that their group is the only Christian group. You know, you'll have a high control Christian group who will say, you know, this is the only way to follow God. And I think that that's really a, a warning sign that what you have is a counterfeit Christian teacher where they are suggesting that other churches are not valid and, and that God doesn't work through those people. Secondly, they teach or imply that they, that they should approve all major life decisions. This was what, ha- what was happening in 3 John, verse eight and nine, where this guy named Diotrephes was abusing his authority and the responsibility that God had given to him and basically kicking out anybody who disagreed with him in the church. That's really, I think, another warning sign. Of course, I think we live in an individualistic culture, so we have to be careful not to gut Christian leadership of all authority. God has placed human leaders in the church in order to set the spiritual direction of that church. And I think that that sort of grates against us because we live in a highly individualistic culture. But there's a balance here where on the one hand, God wants to use human leadership to set the direction of the church while at the same time making sure that those leaders are not overstepping their boundaries. Paul, of course, apologizes. He says, to my shame, I admit that we were too weak to do that, to mistreat you, to to exploit you. You could just see the, the sarcasm in his language. I think it's important for us to look for leaders who respect the Bible's limits to authority. You know, the Bible really talks about the importance of experiencing our freedom in Christ. And anyone who's going beyond what's written in the Bible, namely telling you what profession you need to go into, who you should marry, who you should date, how you should spend your money, the Bible doesn't say anything about how you should specifically do those things, but it does outline principles. And so a authentic Christian teacher should be teaching principles of financial responsibility and teaching principles of financial generosity, but they, sh- they should never be telling you what you should be giving or how much you should be giving. That's important to realize. All right, let's draw a few conclusions. I think the first thing is, don't let counterfeits make you cynical about Jesus Christ. Some of us have come from backgrounds where we've seen scandal after scandal in our denomination, or maybe we came from a church where one of the pastors was busted for some sort of financial impropriety. I don't think that we should believe that since there are so many counterfeits out there, that there's no authentic Jesus. Remember, the only thing that you would ever want to counterfeit is something that's really precious. The fact is, Jesus is real. And one of the things that you should do if you are investigating here tonight is look into the Bible and what it has to say. Look at what God has to say about you and about what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. Secondly, warn other Christians of false teachers. 
It's one of the things that God calls on us to do. We can save people from shipwrecking their faith. And by warning Christians of false teaching, we can, we can help them grow in their faith as well. Finally, reach out to those who have been influenced by false teaching. Try to have a dialogue and try to persuade them of God's truth, even though they've fallen into uh, this warped view of Jesus and what he's done. All right, why don't we just spend the remaining time we have praying. Yes, God, we thank you that you give us warnings like this. You know, not every Bible teaching we sit under is gonna be um, super encouraging and make us uh, feel super good. Sometimes we need warnings. And um, I pray that you would help us to gain greater discernment and that we can detect whether or not what we're hearing comes from you or whether or not it's uh, coming from the evil one. And I pray, Lord, uh, for those of us maybe who are coming from a background where we sort of feel burned by our experience in maybe another church or where maybe this counterfeit Christian teaching has really um, undermined our faith, pray that we wouldn't just uh, discard the possibility of your reality because of that that we would be willing to give you another chance and and to evaluate whether or not you're real. And um, pray for anybody who feels that way that they would just call out to you and see uh, whether or not you will reveal yourself to them. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. This study was recorded at Xenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.